Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. We're back this week with another letter from the mailbag. This one comes to us from an associate veterinarian who is having some challenges with a fellow associate, only they're not challenges that they themselves are having. They're challenges that they're observing within the rest of the team. There's a lot of change happening, and this doctor is advocating for even more change and getting frustrated when it's not happening and going above the manager's head. There's a lot of drama happening here, and Andy and I both looked at this letter and couldn't help but think, is this associate watching a potential mutiny happen? Let's get into it and find out. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie Yo Ho Ho and a bottle of rum, Goss. <laughs> We've got a mutiny, Goss. We've got a We've mutiny. We've got a mutiny. We've got a yeah. mutiny. I don't like mutiny. We got uh, a good how, one in the mailbag today. Okay. Yeah. How's it going, Andy York? It how is it going? Let's it's crazy. Um yes. the college recruiter came to the high school. Oh. Uh, for, yeah. And now Jacqueline's like, she thinks she's leaving tomorrow. Uh so it's like, <laughs> you're 15. Like you're not out of here just yet. And she's but she's serious. Um so so my dot my daughter is my oldest daughter is my wife's child for sure. And so um, she definitely wants to get this right. And so at first we had a lot of panic because my daughter goes to the fine arts center. And so the colleges that came there rolled up hard with fine arts programs. Well, my sure. wife, my wife teaches you know, biology as right. a STEM professor. And so Jacqueline comes home and she's like, look at this place. And Allison's like, I've never heard of this school. It's because <laughs> it's because they only have theater. That's the right. only like, it's a four year college yeah. with like just just art, uh, just art stuff. And so, of course, uh, I think I think Alice and I both were, were taken aback a little bit by that. Like, oh. And so um, Al- Allie freaked out. I think <laughs> Allison freaked out. She was like, what do we do? She's going to go. She's going to go to some, you know, the school I'd ever heard of it just, that just does art. And and again, like maybe that's maybe that's your jam. But for, you know, a veterinarian and a right. science professor, science that's, that's a hard it's a unexpected pill to have to swallow all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the nice thing is, I was like, I know J- Jacqueline. She's just like Allison. And so I introduced Jacqueline to the U.S. News and World Reports. I was like, hey, Jacqueline, look, all of these <laughs> colleges are ranked with lots of data. And Jacqueline was just like, oh, my God. And so now she has, I kid you not, on her wall, she has a map of America. And it has concentric circles around Greenville drawn based on driving time. She's like, these are within two hours. These are within four hours. These are within six hours. And oh then she has gosh. pins and she put pins uh-huh. where the schools were. And then, I'm not kidding, got a piece of thread and goes uh-huh. from Connected the pin them. to like a post-it note on the side that has uh-huh. the school. And she's just making notes. And it looks like she's solving a murder investigation, <laughs> trying to figure out where she's going to go to college. And But she's talking about and her... Her younger sister, Hannah, who's 12, is just really depressed because she's like, Jacqueline's leaving. I was like, she's not she's not leaving. Everybody calm down. Like, she's not leaving oh, gosh. just yet. But Hannah's like, Jacqueline's going. I was going to say, has, has she even, has she, she's gotten her driver's permit. She's not even driving yet. And she's she planning her college. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. She's planning her college uh, escape. That sounds like, that sounds like my house too. It's, oh, uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's crazy how quickly the year goes by. Like I was thinking about it for Uncharted, but I was thinking about it because of at home. Like I was looking at the calendar and I'm like, holy crap, my kid's birthday is in a, in a week. And like, that's in the fall and there's all this fall activities and holiday conversations are starting and who's, you know, whose families are we visiting this year? And I'm just like, wait a minute, where did this whole year go? Yeah. It has just flown by. And then I started thinking about work and, and all the things that we have coming and looking at that calendar. It's like, man, it is just a steady march from here until the new year. There's just a, there's a lot. There's a lot it's, yeah, it's going fast. Boy, September just disappeared. Yeah. Like that was that was the yes. fastest month I could remember in my life of just and it's here and it's gone. Yep. Yep. And now it's the halfway through halfway know, through October. We're halfway through October as we're recording this. It, it's, yeah. yeah, it's flying up. So we've got our practice leader summit right around the corner and then yeah. uh 
and then on from there. Oh, man. I know. I was just talking about that uh, with Tyler Grogan on our team yesterday. I said, hey, you know what? We're The time is going to fly by between here and Greenville in December, and I cannot wait. It's going to be so We've much fun. We've got some cool stuff. Tyler and I have been working on some uh, some neat program stuff for our practice owners and practice managers today. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, well, hey, let's get into today's episode. So we, you said uh, we have we have a mutiny on we our hands. We got a potential mutiny on our hands. Um, this one this one was really interesting to me because um, so the email came to us from an associate veterinarian, mm-hmm. and they work in a corporate uh, practice, and um, so they're not the boss. They're not the leader in this situation. And so it'll be interesting to see how we, how our conversation flows with this one, because I think there's, um, you know, questions that the writer is asking, but then also the bigger picture questions of, of like the practice leadership here. So um, an associate vet who loves their practice and uh, they were hoping for some input and advice from us on what to do about a fellow associate veterinarian. So they have somebody that they have been working with and um, ever since they came on board, they've been advocating for big change in the practice. And um, which is awesome because the practice was ready to change. But um, there are things that the practice manager and the medical director have not always been in agreement with the associate vet who's proposing the chains on. So lots of things that they're bringing to the table that the the leadership team is like, yeah, let's let's tackle that. Let's take it on. And then other things that they do not agree with uh, for a variety of reasons. And so um, it sounds like from our writer's perspective that this doctor does not like being told no. And so when they get uh, no for things that they would like to see change, they are causing some drama and mm-hmm. um, stirring the pots and causing uh, what has tipped over to the, to this place of moving beyond themselves and involving other team members um, and the paraprofessional staff, the technicians and, and the front desk, um, trying to recruit them to their side of the argument and and push the change through, it sounds like, on their own. And so... This associate vet was like, look, I love this practice. I care about the team on both sides of this. I care about, you know, the relationships that I have with the associate doctor that I work with. And I also care about the team. And I feel like this is starting to get really messy and toxic. And this practice manager and this medical director are working really, really hard to guide the practice through the season of change as we grow. And it feels like this doctor is undermining all of that. And I'm worried that this thing is about to blow wide open. And yeah. so they were asking for help, uh, knowing what they could do to to help support this situation where the practice leaders are kind of getting routinely submarined by this associate doctor with the rest of the team. Yeah. Did you mention it's a corporate practice? Yeah. I, I, I think that that's important in this case, right? Because a lot of times it it speaks to how much control leadership has about Right. The requests that are being made. And you right. and I don't exactly know what the requests are that are being made, but I, I, th- I do think that's important. Yes. It's important flavor when we start talking about what we do here. All right. I am committed this time. Okay. This, is, this is the time when I'm not going to turn this into what managers should do. Uh, and I am going to actually answer the question that was asked of us. Because okay. I think a lot of people ask this question. They're like, sure. I'm not in a position of power, but I see this going on in my practice. And what do, what do I do about it? And so I'm okay. going to really try hard to not put on my leader coacher hat and be like, this is what this is what your medical director should do. Um, although now that I say that out loud, I'm like, oh, well, I have thoughts on what that is. <laughs> but, I, I'm gonna, but I'm not going to do them. This is why I said it was hard because hard. I did the same thing. I sat down and I was like, okay. Let's think. And I thought, as we do, like I, I was trying to divide my thoughts into headspace and action. And I was thinking about the writer. And I was like, what can the writer actually do in this situation? And I made my little list. And then I was like, what could the hospital leaders do in this situation? And that <laughs> list much was far list. longer. It's a much longer, more empowered list. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so I was oh, really yeah. struggling. And I was like, well, we'll see where Andy and no. I take this. <laughs> All right. No, no. But I, I think this is good. I I mean, I, I think I, I love the fact that this person is an associate vet. And, she, and they're like, I've got this other associate vet. I think that that's I think that's awesome because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of times we're not somebody's boss and we've got a problem and we see something happening in our practice. And we we don't want it to go badly. Um, and, and here's the other thing, too. Like, if you have to work at this practice and then you see a train wreck shaping up, 
don't think that's not going to affect you. Right. Don't think. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I just think that that's true is, is that, you know, we all got to, we got to swim around in this fishbowl. And if you come here and make it a sewer, I still got to live in it, you know, and that's, that's not, boy, that's a good metaphor, but that's not, <laughs> that's not helpful. You know what I mean? Like, don't act like you're not affected by that. And so I think I, the way I look at, I look at this like a mailbag question on hard mode. Because, boy, you don't have a whole lot of tools. You're mm-hmm. like, this is yeah, this is a, a limited tool engagement. And go, all right, we can get creative here. We can MacGyver this. We can duct tape a spoon to a lawnmower and, like, <laughs> just we can whip this pudding. So many mixed metaphors here. I just, yeah, no, I was MacGyvering <laughs> something. <laughs> Ultimately, it came up with a lawnmower I, that has uh-huh. a spoon attached and, and, and uh, basically... Basically, it's a it's you're a talking MacGyver and my brain is still back on uh, when you started talking about the toxic sewer and swimming in it. My brain immediately That's as right. a child of the 80s was on Ninja Turtles. And I'm just picturing like glowing radioactive right. we'll <laughs> little veterinarians and support staff running turtle. around. <laughs> All right. Here okay, let's talk about Headspace. All right, cool. So Headspace, right? So the, the first thing I got to say in Headspace and, and this I don't say this. It's limited value to say to people, I wish that you had done this in the past, or I hope you did this in the past. Sure. But I still think that I just got to give a quick shout out to good old relationship lever here, right? We talk about the ways you get people to do things. There's two levers you can pull. There's a relationship power and there's organizational power. Organizational power is I'm your boss. I have a leadership role. I have a formal position and I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to have to do it or else you're going to have to deal with some sort of formal consequences. Mm -hmm. That lever sucks. Uh, It's just not a very useful lever for anybody, um, but it is a lever I think a lot of people look at. The other lever is the relationship lever, which is just, hey, I like you. And you like me and you believe that I have your best interests at heart and I care about you as a person. And so if I need something, then you're going to at least listen to me and you would kind of like to help me out because you believe that if the rules reverse, I would want to help you out. Sure. And that is hard to establish once things start to go off the rails. And so I just throw this out as my initial sort of point of order. Um, this is why it's good to be friends with people you work with. Even if you don't need anything, if you have the same job, anything, it's just good to know people around you and to try to take care of them and to listen to them and to know them so that at some point in the future, if things start to shift, you can have the, the I don't know, just the, the human, the, the, the capital, the political capital to kind of get heard. And if you don't have a relationship with that person, then you don't have that capital. Then you're somebody who's kind of coming in and trying to talk to this person who doesn't really know or trust you. And so anyway, I just think that that's good rules to live by. I don't mean to take relationships and make them transactional, but there's a lot of reasons that we should be friends and we should try to know the people that we work with. And situations like this where you see somebody kind of starting to make things toxic, um, if you know that person and you have a good relationship with that person, it's a whole lot easier to try to talk to them and and just you might not be able to get them to change how they feel, but you can at least get them to hear what you're saying and maybe temper their actions. And a lot of times that is the difference between things, you know, being a rough batch and really becoming a toxic mutiny. Yeah. Well, I don't think, um, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before um, multiple times now about being friends with people that you work with. And when you say, you know, you don't mean for it to be transactional. I hear that because I know that you, you know, we've talked about, you don't have to be friends with the people, right? And at the same time, nobody goes into veterinary medicine because they don't have a heart and they're not caring. And Mm. so um, we are working in a field of people who do care about what they're doing and the people that they choose to do it with every day and work side by side with. And so that it's we're not just widgets. I mean, that's not our field is not a field where we're working in cubicles and we're, you know, we're just a number in the big giant um, in the big giant sphere. And so I think that that's really important here, because even if you're not friends with the people that you work with, you have relationships with them. And your point about that being it, it is really important here because you need to be able to look at them, especially when things get hard, 
and and look at them and say, I know this person as a human and therefore like I can, I, I know these things about them. I can tell myself this story in my head for good or for bad, right? So when you know someone um, and you work side by side with them and you have seen how, to your point, they have reacted to things in the past, you can choose to tell yourself a story about their intentions. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast. Um, and I think that this is where that becomes really, really important. Because when you have a relationship with that person, a writer, for example, is like, look, I like this associate vet. I work with them. I think they practice good medicine. I'm, I'm telling they didn't write all of this. I'm telling myself, mm -hmm. I'm hallucinating as if I'm them, right? Like sure. I could look at them and say, I like this person. I think they practice good medicine, I like being on their team. I want this to go well for them. And I care about the manager. I care about the team. Like those, those conversations in your head or the shower conversations that you have with yourself, you know, when you're trying to sort this stuff out, those become much easier when you do have a relationship. And to your point, you're not starting from ground zero when things are already bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I, um, so, so I think that that, that relationship, hopefully that you already have in place, I think it's key. We talk a lot about it. So the metaphor I always use is, uh, you need to build the bridge before you need to walk on it. And that's yes. just kind of how I feel about relationships with the people that we work with as people that yes. you lead or just, just your colleagues. Um, yeah. So it's not about who someone is and their role in the organization. It's just, if you want to be effective, uh, regardless of your role, it helps to have good relationships with the people around. And that's just, you know, that's just pruning the garden. You yep. know what I mean? It's just, it's just constant maintenance and watering that relationship and taking care of it. And yeah, but, but that really, you just never know when that's going to come in handy. So, so I start with that. The second thing for me with headspace is, and I think this is kind of where, where you tend to go with these things as well. Um, yeah, I think you, as the associate of that, you kind of have to take stock on what you can control. And, and this is just, this is a general piece of advice I give to associate vets all the time because the number of people who get hung up on what should happen and what should be and who should do what or how we should run our practice, I see it all the time. And that is the path to, uh, to ruin in a yeah. lot of ways. It just, yeah. it is a recipe for frustration. It is a recipe for happiness. I think in order to be happy as an associate vet or as a technician or as a CSR, um, you have to be able to balance the desire to make things better around you with acceptance of how the world is and the things that you don't control. Okay. I think a lot of us are struggling with that. It just in life in general, it feels like I got this idea right now that I'm playing a lot with. Um, I, I think the world is too big, Stephanie. I don't think that our, I don't think that our human brains were made to know what's going on across the entire world. I don't think that we were made to see literally a thousand people doing things as we flip through Instagram. Like, I just don't think that we're wired to take in all that information and to see all of these people and to compare ourselves to all of these people. Sure. I, I think the world is, um, I think the world is, is too big and the amount of control that we have gotten while the world around us has gotten so big and we're now aware of this whole world, our control has not changed at all. Right. We are aware of so many more things and we have absolutely no control beyond what we used to have 50 years ago. Like we right. just don't. We still have the ability to affect relationships, to help the people who are right in front of us. Do you know we have the ability to uh, to to decide how we talk to people? Mm -hmm. We have the ability to just figure out how we're going to spend our free time. Mm -hmm. Like, but that's about it. Like, you know, we just yeah. don't have any more control. And so anyway, I don't mean to take that tangent too far, but um, I think that that's true. And I really do think that that whole thing falls back into one of the things it takes to be happy as an associate or, you know, as a as an employee basically is looking around and saying, I see all of these things now. And I see social media and I see what people are saying and doing in their free time. And like, we didn't used to see that. And we have no control over that stuff. And so I think a lot of it is, is what do you control? So, so the next part of Headspace for me, I think, is, is just kind of running through what, what do we control here? And mm -hmm. so when I'm looking at, at this, um, I think that our writer can control what she says to the other associate vet. 
She's 100% sure. has control in what she says there. She says she's got control over what she says to the staff and how she interacts sure. with the staff. She's got control over what she can say to the management or how she wants to approach mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. You know, in regards to this mm-hmm. situation, it's, I don't know, what control do you have? Well, you could talk to the vet. You could talk to the team. You can talk to the management. Mm-hmm. And that, I think those are your cards. You know what I mean? And, and uh, the things that we don't have control over is how the associate perceives the practice or the management sure. or the team or right. vet medicine in general. Like if there or are what people they, or what they do or either. what they do. Yeah. yeah. You, you cannot control their behavior. You cannot control other people. But even the perception thing, I've seen this a bunch of times is, you know, you'll work with somebody and they will just go, God, can you believe how awful this place is? And I'm like, I am not having a, an awful time here. Like I, I've seen some other places and I got to tell you sure. this, you know, every, every place has got, has got bumps, right? Every path has got bottles. Um, I don't perceive this as being a horrible place, but you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's heard people. Mm-hmm. They will talk in this horrible, dark language about the abuse in their practice. And sometimes if, maybe that's true. And if it is true, I don't want to downplay it, but there's other times when you say, what are you talking about? Like, where is this deep, angry language coming from? And again, may, maybe they're having experiences that I'm not having. Um, but I think we've we've probably all seen people who just, for whatever reason, they take a view that is much more severe than what we take. You can't stop people from taking that view. You can talk to them. You can seek first to understand why right. they have that view. You know, and I think that's good of investigating and saying, you know, you say this place is, is, uh, is hell. I think you called it hell. Can, why do you feel like this is hell? Right. Like, what? what is the thing? And I think that sort of that sort of questions can open up the conversation. Wow, you're really upset about this thing. I, I really, that really doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, that's, right. this is, I've worked at other places where that's, that, you know, what we have is wonderful. Like, I, I've seen that. But anyway, but you can't, you can't control their perception. You cannot control what they do. You can't control how the staff decides to feel. If the staff is like, yeah, we're going to get fired up about this. And there's a staff of 15 or 20 and you're one associate vet, like you can't tell them to not be fired up about it. You know, you again, you can decide what you're going to say and how you're going to engage, but you just don't have that level of control. And this is the most frustrating part. You can't control what management decides to do. Right. You can't control what they do with the staff. You can't control what they say to the vet. That doesn't mean you can't talk to them. You can decide how you're going to communicate. But again, all of this stuff, you're really kind of playing with your one arm tied behind your back just because um, you just you don't you don't have that control. Now, it's interesting because it is a it is a frustrating position to be in, I think, to look at it and realize that there is not if you were the associate in this scenario, there's not a whole lot within your control. And. Part of the conversation when I have had this conversation with with peers in the past has been that's also it's the blessing and the curse, right? Yes. Because the the blessing is it's not your job. No. Like that responsibility does not sit on your shoulders. You are the employee who gets to come to work, do their job, do it well, and then go home at the end of the day. That doesn't sit on your shoulders the way it does if you are in a leadership position. The trade-off to that is that you've given up that control over being able to potentially impact, um, to direct the change. That doesn't mean that you can't impact the change as a member of the mm-hmm. team, but you give up the control to direct the change when you're not in that leadership position. And so I think it's the it's the blessing and the curse here because the writer is in that position where they're facing they're facing all of these perceptions, like you said that probably from, I'm guessing from their email, make them feel the shoulds. Like, you know, they they want to fix this. They feel like things should be different. They could be different. Like they're seeing it through that lens. And it's a very frustrating place to be in, to feel like you want things to be t- different and you don't have any control over, um, over directly managing them to be different. And so I think from a headspace perspective, like I agree with you, part of that for me is the is the conversation with myself over what can I control and making peace with the fact that what I can control is limited and I'm going to have to be okay with that because the trade-off is I've chosen to be the employee. 
it's a, you know, maybe a long-term different story with yourself if you're looking at this and you're like, oh, okay, I don't want to be in this position again in the future. And I would like to be in that leadership role. And then we move into the the conversation about all of the options for, you know, what a what someone in a positional power uh, position in this practice could do. But for the writer right now, I think part of it is just that that acceptance of what you can control and knowing that the things that you can control are fairly limited. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't perceive the shoulds in this letter. I, I, I don't I didn't. I just that's something I have seen again and again and again. Sure. And just whenever we hear from from people who are seeing conflict in their practice. And it's how I felt. Boy, er, early in my career, you know, and again, I, I tried to rein it in, but I chafed. Uh, especially the bigger hospitals that I worked in where there was a, a, a bit, I mean, again, you have to have strong rules and because you have a lot of people in your managing. And like, I understand that now in a way I didn't when I was sure. young, but I, you know, I had these ideas about how this should be or that should be. And, um, you know, it's funny. Life is funny. You know, you, um, I, I think life has a sense of humor. And so it puts you in a position where you have strong feelings about things. And then over about 20 years, it puts you into the opposite position where you're the one running the things and you get to say, I was, so, I was that was so silly. <laughs> and then, you know, you'll see young veterinarians, you know, fresh new grads come in with big ideas about how you should be. And I'm not saying you dismiss those people and you definitely don't want to. But at the same time, I hear some of these same ideas that they had when I'm now juggling like this much bigger operation. And I'm like, yeah. I remember being, I think we're probably, I think we're probably, um, I think we're probably raised that way. I think it's probably part of the human experience is that when you're in your twenties and your thirties, you see problems, you're like, I can take them down. And then when you're in your forties and your fifties, you're like, I've seen problems like this before. And I recognize the nuance here and, and what it means to turn a ship of this size. Mm-hmm. And you just, you can't know that until you until you do it, you know? And so anyway, it's just, it's, it's just one of the beauties of life, but it's never going to go away. Now, um, I, I want to pause here with Headspace because you're exactly right. There's, there's, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a dichotomous approach that people often take with these things and you touched on both sides of it. And so a lot of people look at it and they say, I've got two options. I can join the fight. I can, I can pick a side and I can go to battle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I can, and I have said this to myself, this was actually a, a tool that I used for a while, which is, uh, it's just a job. Mm-hmm. I can just decide this is just a job and right. I'm just going to show up and the callers will kind of fall where they where they will. And I'm just going to do my thing. And sometimes if you're someone who cares too much, you might have to choose the it's just a job. And I've told people there's nothing wrong with that. And what I what I've generally found is it's just a job is a mantra that can help me to accept things that are really bothering me. And just because you decide to say to yourself, it's just a job. That doesn't mean it always has to be just a job. That doesn't mean that you don't care about the clients that you serve and things like that. But it can be a mantra to help you accept things that are out of your control to say, this is just a job. I don't own this place. I'm not in charge. It's not my circus, not my monkeys. That can be a mantra you say to yourself to help to help resolve this. I think that ultimately, the best position to be in for Headspace and the one where I'd really like our associate vet to, get, to be is in this beautiful place in between where you say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to accept what is and I am going to be happy and I am going to put my thumb on the scale and try to exert some influence without joining this battle. So I do have some power to change people's perception of what's going on and I can just, I don't have to do a dramatic speech to the staff, but through my words and actions over time, I can 100% have a calming, directional influence over this situation. That is not, that's not taking sides or, or joining the battle. And I think that, my friends, that's really the enlightened position is I can accept the people and what they're feeling and what they're trying to do. And I can see how this is going. And I can recognize that I don't have a lot of power here, but I am going to set some boundaries for myself. And I am going to try to be a good influence on this situation. And I might, you know, lean a little heavily into influence and see how it goes. And I might lean back a little bit and decide, you know, it's just a job and I'm just kind of floating along. But I think that there is a balancing act right there where you can get that really makes you a Jedi. It's, uh, and also it makes you a wonderful asset to the practice. Like you can be this, um, I don't even know how to, how to describe it, but you can be this this calming, stabilizing force without 
joining the management. Right. You can mm-hmm. you can do yeah. that, you know, like um, and without joining the, the mutineers or the rioters. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can you don't have to not have an opinion. That's yeah. that's the other part is, is that you can have an opinion and also be a force of stability. Mm-hmm. And and to sort of counsel people to, you know, to talk through their issues, to not assume mm-hmm. bad intent on the part of mm-hmm. others and things like that. Well, you can so, lead from know. you can lead from within the team. You can you can absolutely lead w- from within the team. But even then, you I have seen people who are like, I'm going to lead even though I don't have power. And the truth is, the team doesn't want to hear what you have to say. I, I think, you know, it's kind of like some things I've seen in parenting in my life where when I was a young parent, I, I thought boy, when my kid has a, has a struggle, I can, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to intervene. And then only after, you know, the first week or so did I realize that you have no power. Like this, <laughs> these kids don't, these kids don't, like you do not make them. They, they are who they are. They came out 98% baked. Uh, you've got a little bit of power, a little bit of influence. It's mostly the environment you provide. Okay, but, but it's, but it's kind of that thing of like, you know, so, you know, Hannah is worried that Jacqueline is leaving and Hannah needs her time to process that. And I'm here for her and I'll talk to her and I, I'm going to keep talking to her because the conversation keeps coming up. But I can't sit Hannah down and give her a motivational speech and make her accept that it's, this is not happening right away. But at some point, your sister will leave. It's going to have to be a continued process of supporting and kind of guiding and being there for me when she wants to talk to me. And, and, and again, I don't mean to take take relationships that work back down to, you know, talking to children, but that relationship and that support is 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 the same. And so anyway, I, I just I think that you can be, again, to be to be enlightened, the enlightened doctor is to be able to look at the situation without getting upset about what should be or what shouldn't be, but just to accept kind of what is. And to take care of yourself and to have influence that you can have that that's good and positive. So the very last part of Headspace for me is just as you're thinking about this and you say, what what do I do here? And we'll get into action steps, but the old golden rule continues to be a great guide. You know, is just if you were management, what would you want? And if you were the team, what would you want? And if you were this this other associate veterinarian who's probably struggling, who seems to be upset, who seems to not be happy, like, what would you want? And I think just giving some thought like that of, you know, if it was me in these other roles, how would I like someone to approach me? How would I, what would I, what would be beneficial to me? I know that sounds simplistic, but a lot of times that that really is the best place to kind of get your head when we start to talk about action steps. For sure. I can, I can agree with that. Do you, um, do you want to take a break here and then come back and talk about, um, action, some action steps that this yeah. associate can use. Let's do it. Hey, friends. I just wanted to talk for a quick second about the maths with you all because I've been thinking a lot about the workshops and normally here's where we tell you what's coming up and we've got some great stuff happening. So you're going to want to head to unchartedvet.com forward slash events and check out the upcoming calendar. But I want to talk about maths because if you are not already an Uncharted member, you can attend any one of our workshops and pay $99 a piece. Most of them are just $99. You can do it as a one-off. Great and fine. However, that adds up really quick. And if you do the monthly workshop with us, and I've seen some of you there as repeat customers, which is amazing, but you could spend almost $1,200 over the course of the year doing workshops with us, or you could pay $6.99 and get a 12-month membership, which means you get all of the workshops that we do at no extra charge. You also get access to our amazing conversation in the community, our community members, and all of our community resources. And it is hopping over there. We've got conversation 24-7. We have got activities. We've got book club. We're writing our handbooks together and handbook helper group this year. We are talking about uh, development and uh, leadership growth, doing our development pathway this year. We are doing hallway conversations where we're talking about topics. These are uh, sessions that are community-led, community-driven. It is topics about things that are going on in your practice that you want to talk about with your peers. All of that is happening and it's all included for your $6.99 membership. So simple math. Do you pay almost $1,200 for the year or do you pay $6.99? If you're not currently a member, you should head over to the website and use this argument to convince your boss, hey boss, I need to be a part of this amazing community because 
Stephanie told me so. And because she's telling you that you will save money. <laughs> Hopefully that works. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I hope to see you at our upcoming workshops again, uncharted.com forward slash events for everything that's coming. And now back to the podcast. Okay, so I think um, you and I both landed uh, in the same place in different ways, which is we have to look at what does the writer actually have in their control in this situation and and recognizing that doesn't really necessarily feel like a lot. And there are some things I think that they do control. And so I think from an action step perspective, for me, that would be uh, where I would start, which is what is actually in in my control? And if I was the writer, I think that there's a couple of things that I could be in control of. And I think we kind of talked about them a little bit when we were setting up the headspace. But one of them is um, is what I can what I can say, right? And who I can say it to. Um, and so I think it's worth talking about how do we potentially have a conversation with the other associate vet? How do we have a conversation with the manager, with the team, et cetera? But the, the things that I say, um, uh, the other is how we're acting. We talked about that a little bit as as well. Um, and so I think thinking about what do I control when it comes to my actions? Um, and then that um, kind of leading from within the team, what uh, what do I control when it comes to how I show up, um, how I act, how I'm leading uh, from, from within the team? Um, and then also how I can show up for the people that are involved in different, in different ways. And so I think that the, those, those things are going to look different for each of the people involved. But I think if I was this writer, like the way that my brain works, I would sit down and, and, um, not, not dissimilarly probably to how Jacqueline drew her circles on the map. Like I would sit down for myself and say, okay, what are the things that I can control and actually do when it comes to my relationship with the associate vet? And I would start start there and then work my way out in those concentric circles uh, like Jacqueline's map, which is the associate vet, the, the manager, the, you know, the medical director, the, the team as a whole. And then potentially because this is a corporate uh, practice structure, the, the field leaders that are involved in in supporting um, the, pr- the practice as well, because it sounds like there's been some some engagement and some interaction with them as well. So I think they, they become a circle, a circle there. But that's kind of how my my brain would approach it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I think as the associate vet, you got three conversations that you can have. And when, and when I say conversation, I think this is important. I think I, when you're when you're when you have a non-positional power, um, sometimes when you have non-positional power, sometimes the best approach is not to have a meeting. It's not to sit someone down and have a conversation. It's um, it can it can be sometimes you have to look for your openings because you're not you're not the boss of these people and they didn't want to hear you lecture. And as soon as you start to call them in and sit them down, you, they're going to get defensive. They're not going to like this. They're, you're, it's going to it's going to make the dynamic feel weird. They're immediately going to peg you as being on the other team. And so I think one of the things to really do this well is you have to have a little bit of patience. You have to kind of know what you want to say and have thought through it. And then you have to sort of look for the opportunities to engage in a way that feels organic and not forced. And I think that that's, I think that that's important. I think that that's, a, that's an interesting trick. Now, when you're management, um, that's still a good tool, but you do have positional power and you have a lot, it's a lot easier for you to you know, sort of say, hey, let's let's have a talk. We need to talk about something. Um, it's much harder to do when you're talking about peers. And so I don't know. So let's start. Let's start with the associate vet. Well, you okay. wanna, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do so it. I think I think for me, I start with our with our safe headspace, right? And again, I know it's a little bit of headspace, but just remember the safe acronym that we use all sure. the time. So S, can you sit next to this person? Can you smile at this person? The day that you're sick of hearing them complain about the practice is not <laughs> the time to have the conversation. Right. Like. It's nice if you can get into a good Zen headspace about things and the opportunity presents itself. Now, what's hard here is that when you're in this headspace and you can sit next to this person, you can smile at them, you're going to want to not have the conversation because everything is good and I feel good. And you know what? It's not that big a deal. And so there's really discipline here in saying, I'm in a good headspace with this person and I have decided this is important enough to talk about. And so I'm going to 
push into this potentially difficult conversation because I decided to do it, even though right now in the moment, I'm not triggered, I'm not angry, I'm not frustrated. This is a time you're most likely to be successful. And so you have to have the discipline to have the conversation. So S, can you sit next to this person? Can you smile? A, are you assuming good intent? And I think that that's really important as we go and talk to this other vet. Are we seeing them as a, a toxic person? Because that language will color them right. in our eyes. Yes. And so, A, can we assume good intent? F, uh, is failure. Has this person been set up to fail? And I think that that's, I think that's a really good place to look at this because a lot of times when, the, when we talk to employees or we talk to other people on our team and they say, um, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this decision was made. My question is, do they have all the information? Do they really understand why that decision was made? Do they know what's reasonable or what tends to happen at other practices, things like that? And so if they haven't, uh, if they don't have information, then maybe they've been set to fail. Maybe they haven't been hold, told a, a, a straight story. And the last is the end result is what do you want to accomplish? I don't think the end result here should be, I'm going to make this person love their job. It's, <laughs> hey, I just want to give them a little bit of perspective and say, you know, every practice has problems. And, and you know, part of being in a, in a larger organization is that the ship turns much more slowly and... There's lots of other people who probably have conflicting views on the same topics and they kind of have to get heard. And, you know, it's just part of being a piece in a big team is that. So that probably is the, the E part, the end result. So S-A-F-E, I would put that in my mind. I, I would remember with the associate vet, it's not your job to initiate this conversation. Like, it's not your job to fix this situation or sit this person down. You know, you shouldn't feel obligated, which is why you can wait until uh, until the opportunity arises. And then if and when the opportunity arises, I would ask this person about why they feel the way they do. And I, and I would tell them I'm concerned. I'd say, then you seem really unhappy. I'm hearing a lot of really, you know, negative things from you. I've had this conversation with people and that's the end of the conversation right there was I say, man, I just gotta tell you, you seem really unhappy, man. Like, I feel like every day when I talk to you, there's something that's really bothering you. And they'll go, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, I mean, no, I, I mean, I don't think I'm really unhappy. And I'll say, that's, that's just how it sounds to me. Like we used to never talk about, you know, headaches at the practice. And, and I feel like a couple of times a day they come up mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. and, a lot, and a lot of times it's that you can jolt someone's self-awareness into place. And, and again, right. if they don't have any self-awareness, you can't. But a lot of us just, we don't really see ourselves or we don't, re sometimes we don't recognize the thought patterns we've fallen into. So that's something as simple as that can can uh, can make a big difference. Talk about what your perception is, kind of how you're seeing it. How you say, you know, this is this is kind of what I'm what I'm seeing when you know when we have these conversations, and then uh, you know, focus on the future. Try to keep it positive. Try to push them a little bit into like, well, you know, if they're not going to do if they're not going to do what you're suggesting, I mean, what are the alternatives? Because I don't I don't I don't think you should be miserable every day. And just kind of, kind of start yeah. to move them in that direction. Well, I think that there's really the I you you hit it because for me there's really the two, um, the two areas where you could actually potentially affect change with them are to to have a conversation again in the context of your relationship, right? So you you know this person, you like this person, you like working with them, and so I love your point about focusing on the interactions and the things you can do to continue to build that relationship so that you can lean into that relationship and have the conversation with them, right? And just say, hey, this is, you know, I'm worried about you or it seems like you're not yourself or however it feels right for you to to phrase that conversation. I think the other piece besides, um, so there's two sides to that. One is your concerns for them. The other side is that th the impact for you of their actions in your relationship. So you have the ability to say to them, hey, when you talk to the team about the things that I'm just gonna call her Sarah, Sarah, the practice manager does, when you have conversations with the team in the treatment room about her, it makes me feel really uncomfortable because I sometimes, I don't know how you are, but sometimes I tell myself stories in my head. And so when I hear you having conversations with the treat in, in the treatment room with the text about Sarah, sometimes I go home and wonder, oh, is she having conversations about me when I'm not there? 
And so that makes me that makes me worried um, for for myself and the rest of the team. And like it really makes me uncomfortable when I see that happening. How can we change that? Because I know, you know, like I know you're not intentionally a mean person. I know that you wouldn't want to make, uh, you know, me or anybody else feel that way. You have the ability to lean into how does it impact you as a person, um, as a, as a tool there. And the third one is also the impact that you see, you, you see the impact potentially on them not feeling themselves. You can talk about the impact that it has on you. You also can talk about what you see as the impact to the team. And that can be a really important, especially with associate doctors, um, because I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say something that might, some things that might upset some people here, but, um, vets are like cowboys sometimes. What do we, what do we call them previously? Um, um, pilot, uh, fighter pilots. Fighter pilots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a little bit of ego involved. And the reality is this support staff does look up to the veterinarians and they carry influence and weight. And so sometimes to your point earlier about kind of shocking them or jolting them a little bit into looking at their own behavior, sometimes it's pointing the mirror back, but looking at their behavior and how it's impacting the rest of the team. And so that can, with associate vets in particular, be a really powerful leveler is to to point that mirror back at them and say, hey, this is how I see you impacting the rest of the team. And I'm not sure if you have noticed this, but like they really look up to you. And so I know that sometimes I know it can be really easy to get frustrated and say things off the cuff. And the team doesn't know when you're just necessarily when you're blowing off steam or when you might be serious about something. And so when you say something in their presence and they hear it, that impacts them and it impacts the way that they react and act with you and also impacts and um impacts the way that they act and react with Sarah as well. And so, you know, I just wanted to have a conversation with you about it because doctor to doctor, I feel like I can under, you know, like you have that commonality, you have that relationship. So I think that that's the third piece of the conversation level lever that you as the associate doctor could pull with them. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I think the last part for just coaching with dealing with the associate, I think gossip rules apply here which is, you know, when this negativity comes out, don't engage with it. You know, just just withdraw from the conversation. You can be friendly without participating. Um, you know, you can say things like, you know, I, I'd rather not, I'd rather not, you know, go to a negative place about this. And you can kind of gently shut down those things. You know, it, it takes, it takes two people to gossip, you know, it takes one person to, to talk and one person to listen. The same thing is kind of true about spreading negativity. It takes one person to, to, to start this negative sentiment and the other person to, to be willing to listen to that negative sentiment. And so you do have some subtle power there as well. I think that that's really important too, because I, you know, again, not to, um, not to go back to having kids, but I, I've been thinking about this a lot because I have been, uh, working with my, my kids on, um, the power of their own boundaries. And I think it's really important to, to remember that there are two sides to that. There is the, you know, you can, you can control, um, what you choose to do action-wise, you can choose to participate in gossip, but you also could choose to listen or to not to not listen. And we're taught, I think as children, we're taught um, not to, you know, do the golden rule, do unto others as we want unto us, right? Uh, to, to think before we speak, we're taught all kinds of platitudes like that about how we should act and interact with other human beings. And I don't think that we're actually taught a whole lot about, at least I wasn't, about the power of being able to say, I don't, I don't like hearing that. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to feel like you would be talking about me behind my back. And I feel like based on what you just said, that you're doing it about them. And so I'm not going to engage in this, right? That we don't, we don't learn the tools for how to walk away. And I've been thinking about that a lot as a parent, because we've been going through some, some mean girl drama and some friends drama as with teenagers. Um, and I have been trying to teach them that they do control that and they do get to control. It is, it is okay. And I expect it of them to say, that's not kind. Like, uh, you know, if you were really my friend, you wouldn't talk to me that way. And so if you really care about this teammate, you wouldn't talk about them that way either. And, and I think that the reason that I'm babbling and bringing all of this up is because I think that that's something that's really important that we can learn how to bring to the table as 
human beings. And I say that because I learned how to model that behavior um, sometimes really well, sometimes horribly for my team by seeing someone else who was really, really good at it. And I will never forget the first time that I heard someone in a, in a treatment room situation say, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I, I feel like you're gossiping about the other person and I don't want to be a part of this conversation and then just walk away. Not not to be like vin, you know, vindictive or bitchy or snarky at them, but just this is a boundary for me. I'm not comfortable with this conversation and I'm going to walk away. And I remember them in the moment, it was wildly uncomfortable, but then the conversation stopped. And I was like, oh, hey, that's really powerful. <laughs> like that, you know, oh, and that person was like, oh, I didn't realize I sounded that that mean. Like I didn't realize I sounded that, that was I really gossiping? Like it pointed the mirror back at them in a way that made them be able to look at it and look at their their own behavior and, and shake them up. And so I think that that's a really, really powerful tool. And I think um, we have more control over that as individuals on the team, what that boundary is and and how we set those boundaries um, for the things that we engage in or ch- or choose not to engage in. Talking with the team. So we talked about these, so talking with these, so talking with the team. And again, I don't imagine this being a sit down conversation with the team. Right. It's just more of a way of interacting with the team. It's just be the light you want to see in the world. You know, it's, that's it is be if you're worried about about people getting down or being negative, be positive, be optimistic, you know, talk about the practice in a good way. Talk about the mm-hmm. things you enjoy. Remind them of the differences that they're making. And again, it, it's it's not about a dramatic, like brave heart type speech that rallies everybody. Yeah. It's just kind of the consistency of noticing the good things and pointing out what's good and what's positive. And so I, I think it's a big part of it. If if the team starts to bring up negativity or things like that, I, I tend to engage them with questions. Like I don't want to tell them they're wrong, especially if you're right. talking to the staff, like support staff. It can come off as condescending if the doctor's like, you've got it really good. Like that's not really right. it, but I, I'll <laughs> say things like, why do you, why do you say that? Like, Tell, tell, I'm, I'm not I'm not having this experience. Tell me tell me why you are perceiving this as unfair treatment. Like what where's your help me understand. And those are just subtle questions that mm-hmm. you can have with people. And I probably tend to have them one on one as they sort of come up with people that I'm working with or stuff like that. Um, you know, you can you can you can do that stuff. Remember your positive reinforcement. When you see people who are not buying into the negativity, tell them, hey, you know, I just want to tell you, I love working with you because you're positive, like Mm -hmm. you're happy to be here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you see the bright side of of what we're doing. And I just want to say thanks. I just enjoy spending time around you. Thanks for making my day brighter. And it's it can be little things like that. That way you're you're encouraging those other people who are also trying to, you know, to hold up candles in the darkness. Like, yeah, you you can you can do those things, you know, Um, it's, that's, that's, that's the big things for me is, you know, you you have great power as a doctor to kind of shut stuff down. If you if you use the tools that, you know, Stephanie was talking about as far as like, hey, no, no, I'm not enjoying this conversation, guys. Um, you, you do have great power and you can do that without being critical of the other doctor or, or right. trying to start fights or anything like that. But you can subtly shut things down and you can subtly, you know, put a positively reinforce things that you want to try to grow. And, and again, you can manifest and, and exhibit the behaviors that you think you'd like to see in the in the practice. Mm-hmm. I think the only other thing that that I would add to that about the team um, would be, I think you lead with your own actions and positivity. And I love your, um, your pointing out of the positive reinforcement. And I think um, you also have power because of the relationship um, and the, I guess the hierarchy in a practice in the sense that the the staff does look up to the doctors. And so if I was this associate, one of the areas where you do have power of influence is to create just those really continue nurturing those relationships, your own relationships with the support staff in the sense of make sure that they know that you are an open door and that Mm -hmm. you want to support them and that you want to listen to them. And so, you know, it can be, it can be as simple as you're in surgery with them and ask them, how are things going for you? You know, how, how's, how's work? Are you, you know, what are you loving about work and asking, asking them questions and being curious just as a, as a human, but also by doing that, you're laying the groundwork where if they do have a concern or they do have something if they bring it up to you, then you also have created a situation where you have the ability to influence by saying, 
hey, you know what? That's a great point. That sounds to me like you should have a conversation with the associate doctor directly or with the practice manager directly. Like you're creating opportunities for you to lead from totally within the team. It's not about, you know, being in a position of leadership. It's about leaning into those relationships and being able to look at this person and say, oh yeah, like you don't, it, it sucks that you're feeling that way you should do something about that, right? Like you can be an agent for positive change in that regard by making the team understand that you do have the open door. And the only way that that happens, even from within the team, is to build those relationships with them and be be intentional about it. And it it would go the same way for the, um, you know, associate as well, right? Which we talked about, just leaning back into that relationship of, hey, we're both doctors and we both love what we're doing here at the practice. Like, Let's focus on building that relationship because then your ability to speak to them, your ability to act and lead by example falls on on both sides of that. And then you can actually be a support for all of those people um, as things continue to grow and change in the practice. I think that's it's the same. It's the same for this associate doctor. Um, they clearly have an affinity for the manager um, and there's, you know, they they like the manager and there's definite empathy there and they see that, like, tell them, remind them that you, you know, see them, that you see the good hard work that they're doing, positively reinforcing them. Like you can, as the person who is on the outside and not in the middle of the drama, you have the ability to be the perspective and give that positivity to all the all the sides here and i think that that's a that that is if i was in this person's shoes like that is the most powerful tool i think that you you have yeah the last part for me is talking to the management and to me this falls into my what is kind and i always want to do what is kind yeah. is it kind to not say anything to the management about what you see shaping up? I think the answer is no. Mm -hmm. I don't think you owe them a whole lot. It's not your job to manage the practice. And I I think that's, hear me out when I say that, I don't think you owe them a lot. But I just think sort of common courtesy uh, and and just being kind would be to stick your head in, to to ask if you can chat with the manager for a second or, or with the medical director or whoever and just say, I, I would just say, hey, look, I'm, I'm concerned about a couple of things. And mm-hmm. I just want to kind of make sure that they're on your radar. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, you know, I'm, these are the behaviors that I'm sort of starting to see. Mm-hmm. And you can decide how direct you want to be. What I, I'm not trying to go in and rat on the other vet and be like, well, she said this. Right. And right. then she said that. But what I would say is something along the lines of, you know, I think that the other associate vet is uh, she seems to be feeling a bit resentful about mm-hmm. how things are going. And I'm starting to hear some negativity about the practice. And and I'm starting to hear it back from the staff. And so I'm kind of worried that, and again, I don't know what the specifics are, so I don't right. know how widespread this is. I don't know if this is one issue or if this is a couple issues or if there's a pattern here. Right. But I would like to give them a heads up and say, I'm, I'm feeling like there may be a culture change kind of happening. I don't really like where it's going. And so I just want to put you on, put that onto your radar and just mm-hmm. say, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about, about how this is happening and where it's going. And hopefully that's all you need to say. You know, um, I, it's amazing how often I'll see people and they're like, and nothing happened in the practice, it just got worse. And I'm like, well, did you tell the managers? And they were like, no. And I'm like, well, how did they know? It was like, well, they knew when everybody started yelling at them. And I was like, that's kind of late in the game. Like they they could have deployed a lot sure. more tools if they had known that this up. was it. Yeah, if they had a heads up. If they'd known this is where things were going. Yeah. But like, they don't know necessarily. Again, it just depends on the leaders. You know, if you're a job of a leader, remember that relationship game we talked about at the very beginning. Like, you, hopefully you've got good people who will say, hey, look, I'm hearing some stuff you might right. want to be aware of. Yeah. And again, it's it's just about, it's not about selling people out or getting other people in trouble. I think that's an important point. I think a lot of people are like, oh, Andy says I should go t- turn them in. I should tell on them. Right. I'm not saying that. I think you should give the management a fighting chance to try to stop your practice from turning into a cesspool. Yeah. Like that. that's what I think. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean, again, you can be friendly without joining up. Like you're not, you don't need to pick sides in this battle to say, I'm kind of worried that that the that morale is sliding down and that people are starting to get sort of a negative view about some things that are going on. And you might want to to work on that a little bit and yeah. uh, and see. And then it, and then it goes to the management, which let me begin. Let's do headspace for management really quick. No, I'm just kidding. 
we're not. That's we're a not going to tell. Episode. That's a whole other thing. We're not going to tell management what they should do. But basically, that's how I would kick it up the chain. And and they need to get a plan. And the truth is, the plan depends on what the heck is going on. Right. What is the person upset about? What are they saying? What's the staff saying? It's, and a, it's a whole. And the other nice thing. part is that's above your pay grade. Like that's that you don't have to worry about that as the associate. You just have to put it on their radar. Totally. And here's the thing. If you can, it, again, if you get your head in the right place, you can you can accept your position and also decide you want to be an influencer and somebody who's a sort of a force for good, then you can hopefully maybe positively affect the headspace right. of the associate vet. You can hopefully positively head, uh, affect the headspace of the team. You can sort of manifest the positivity into the team that you want to see. And then hopefully management's going to engage and they're going to start trying to make things better. And yeah. very quickly, we can swing this thing around. It's really, I mean, it's like managing a chronic condition. Early diagnos- diagnostics are the key. And, you know, it's it's funny, but I've seen these things turn around pretty fast. If you can get, you got to have a couple of good conversations. You've got to have some push from the management. People have to believe that things are going to get better or that they're going to change in the future, or that at least that they're heard or they're cared about. But you can, you can swing these things around. You just don't want to get, you don't want to wait until the, the clinic is divided and people have drawn battle lines and right. they're making and people demands. Are leaving. Yeah. And they're, or they're leaving. Yeah. Just, yeah. just do it sooner rather than later. Oh, all right. Well, I think if we go on any longer, we're going to get into what should this manager do, which like nope. I said, is a whole other episode. We're done. Uh, that's the, that's that's it. That's a, that's a wrap on another podcast. We're uh, out like is... Jacqueline Rourke looking at colleges. <laughs> we're out. We got a map. And we're 15 rings, and we're three years we're down the road. we're away. <laughs> Have a great rest of the week, everybody. See you, everybody. <laughs> well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.